Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you. You're a good God. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. Lord, it says that like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, that you gather us and you protect us and you desire the best for us. And I pray today, God, that we will know your safety, we will know your strength, we will know your love, we will know your power, that we will have a God encounter. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and fill this place, come and fill us afresh, that as we talk about your word, as we, we share it together, that we'll be made more like Jesus, we'll be transformed and empowered and rich your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to sort of tie in with our Mother's Day and, and our series on, on Supernatural Month. And the two actually go really well together. I mean, there's, there's some amazing mothers in the Bible, if you think about it. God really isn't about male-female. He's about the right person in the right place at the right time. And you need to understand that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as a guy or a girl. He sees you as a person. And his using you and moving through you and doing things in your life is not conditional upon your sex. It's not conditional upon your color. It's not conditional on where you were born. It's not conditional on where you are. It's entirely conditional on your relationship with Him. What I always think is amazing is it's not even conditional on your need. God doesn't actually respond to need. If He did, He'd spend all His time in some of the poorer countries of the world. What God responds to is faith. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you actually can't please God unless you're living a life based around faith. And I want to talk this morning about one of the most amazing women of the Bible, a woman of faith. And I just want to tie it into, I've called today's sermon, Stepping into Miracles, because we live in a world that is full of challenges. And occasionally we come across problems, and sometimes more occasionally, that really need a supernatural intervention. They need that faith. And let me just say, if you don't have a need for faith in God in your life, then you're not living your best life. You're selling yourself out, and you're giving away what is rightfully yours. Because you should always have a point where you need God to do something in your life. If you don't, you need a bigger vision. And I want to talk today about a lady named Hannah. Now, Hannah's in the Old Testament, and... Let me just tell you the story of Hannah briefly, because it goes over several chapters, and if I just read it, then we're going to spend a lot of time just reading. Let me tell you the story, and then I want to talk about just how awesome she is. You see, Hannah was 
married to a guy who had two wives. And Hannah was one of those wives. Back in Hannah's time, that was one of the things they did. Now, you've got to understand for Hannah, Hannah had no children. And that was a really big deal. Sometimes people today choose not to have kids, and that's their choice, and that's fine. I always think they're missing out on an amazing blessing. So I had theirs for them. But, uh, but to not have kids was, was... See, in the Old Testament, the Jewish women, the greatest thing you could achieve as a Jewish woman was to be the mother of the Messiah. That was like every mother's dream. That maybe I'll give birth to the Messiah. If you couldn't have children, you could never be that mother. And so it was really held in high esteem to have children, to carry on the birthright, to carry on the name, to be in that line of God. Like I say, she was married to a guy who had two wives. While Hannah had no children, the other wife had a whole lot of kids. And every year they used to go up to the temple and part of the, the Jewish tradition was to go to the temple and they would bring gifts of thanks to God. And you would be allotted gifts according to how many children you had. So Hannah's husband would rock up and he would have all the, the gifts for them to give as, as, as an offering and it was all like a, a steam thing. And, and so his first wife would come and you know, she'd get her gift and then she'd get a gift for each of her children and each of her children would also get a gift. And so Hannah would come, and her husband was pretty cool. He really loved Hannah, even though she didn't have children. And so he would give her a, a very, very generous gift to take. But the other wife would always taunt Hannah and have a go at Hannah and pick on Hannah and, you know, nah, 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 you didn't have any kids, sort of thing. You know, real mature woman she was. And so Hannah would always, you know, this time where it's supposed to be a celebration, she would always feel really, really depressed and really down. And so one day she's in there and she's, it's in Samuel, if you read the story in 1 Samuel, she's in there and she's, she's praying to God and she's really seeking after God. And the priest walks in and, and she must have been really going for it, really pushed into God because the priest thinks she's drunk. And he actually has a go at her for being drunk in the house of God. Yeah, that's a real abomination. Don't turn up, turn up to church drunk. You're going to turn up to church and get drunk, be drunk in the Holy Spirit. Right? Timothy says that. He says, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you love that analogy, that comparison? People say, oh, you know, order in church. I'm sorry, but God is not into order in church. Yes, he has a format and so on, but, you know. When the Holy Spirit turns up, yeah, it's his order, not our order. Anyway, so she's praying away, and Eli has a go at her and says, you know, shouldn't be drunk in church. And she says, I'm not drunk, I'm just really anxious, I'm really keen for God to give me a child. And so he blesses her and says, look, may God give you what you want. And she does, she has a child. And that child is Samuel. And so she, part of her promise to God is, if you give me a child, I'll give this child back to you. And so when he's of age, so when he's, you know, in his early years, she brings him in and he actually becomes and works for Eli the priest and learns the way of the priesthood and, and serves in the house of God. And he becomes the major prophet in all of Israel. 
In fact, he's probably the most renowned prophet in all of Israel. This is the guy that anoints Saul as king, and then he anoints David as king. Right? And he plays this massive part in this nation. All from this woman who is just so desperate for God to bring a breakthrough in her life. She is a mighty woman. Let me tell you, any time you see someone standing up doing mighty things for God, making a difference, behind them there is someone who is a person of faith who believed. I always like to think of Billy Graham. You know, there's a guy out there who probably more people have been saved under Billy Graham's ministry than anyone in all of history. You know, we're talking literally millions of people transformed. I know, look, my, my father became a Christian under Billy Graham. My mother-in-law became a Christian under Billy Graham, so it's even in my heritage. Did you ever think about the guy that got Billy Graham saved? Do you know who he was? He was this guy who used to travel out into the outback of America in his little horse and carriage and would preach the gospel. And people would throw fruit at him and old rotten food at him and heckle him the whole time he did it. He never achieved any notoriety. The day that Billy Graham was saved, he was out there preaching and people were throwing fruit at him and abusing him and having a go at him and the drunks were all, you know, going on around him and stuff. And two people got saved that day. One of them was Billy Graham. Just imagine if that guy had given up just because it was difficult. If he'd never gone to that town, because in the previous one it was just too much. People having to go at him. You see, you don't know what God has for you. It's what I say, you've got to be stepping into faith all the time. You've got to be stepping out of your comfort zone into what God has for you. You've got to know his plan for your life. And you've got to step into it. Even though it's difficult. Because you don't know what sort of difference you will make. You don't know how you're a part of his story until you step into what he has for you. And this is what Hannah does. She steps into what God has for you. A friend of mine, Mark Kelsey, pastor on the East Coast, says, sometimes it seems others have more and others are getting all the breakthroughs. You ever felt like that? Other people seem to be breaking through it. It's like, you know, I've been praying, God, I've been faithful in this. Why them? Don't you know this about them? Haven't you heard the rumors, God? I've been a Christian longer. I tithe more. I go to church more. I pray more. I know I read my Bible more. I swear less. Why do they get the breakthrough? You ever felt like that? This is probably Hannah. Here's this lady dedicated to God, and all she gets is the other lady tormenting her. You know, and she must have been going, why does she get the breakthrough while I have to struggle? Because it was year after year. He says, Markel says, Markel says, but it's what you don't have that will make you what you need to become. What you don't have, where you need your breakthrough, 
is what will make you what you need to become. God's supernatural power wants us to achieve our dreams. But we've got to do it in partnership with him. The Bible says that many are called and few are chosen. And I see this in people. I see people with absolutely amazing giftings, incredible abilities, and they never ever become what you think they would become. They never step into what they should step into because it all comes too easy. They never ever build that resilience to go the next stage. I saw a, um, like a little cartoon drawing this week of, of these people walking along carrying their crosses. And you know, there's this guy complaining as he carries his cross. He's going, oh God, my cross is so heavy. Oh, it's so hard. And the next frame he's going along, he's complaining some more. And so he prays to God, God, will you just shorten my cross a bit? Just take a little bit off the bottom so it's a little bit easier to carry. And he's sort of groaning, complaining and praying. And so God cuts off, you know, this much of his cross. And it's like, oh, thank you, God. At least it's a bit easier to carry my cross now. And they're walking along further, walking along further, him and all these other people carrying their, their cross. You know, Jesus says, take up your cross. And they come to this gap in the road where there's this big cliff. And there's a bank on the other side. And all these people take their crosses and they lay their crosses down. And their crosses reach from one side to the other. And they're able to walk across, but this guy lays his cross down, and it doesn't reach. And he can't cross into what God has for him, because he wanted to take the easy road. I see a lot of people going through that. They want to take the easy road. They don't step into what they need to step into. They aren't faithful in, the, in the, where they are, so that when they enter into the next stage of their life, they never rise to what they can be because they've taken the easy path. They haven't done the hard yards. They haven't built that resilience within them, that strength and that faith in God to step into what he has for them. When you're going through a hard time, don't stop. Richard Roberts wrote a book called When You're Going Through Hell, That's Not the Time to Stop. Keep going. When you're going through hell, keep going. Don't stop at hell. Go through it to the other side. Let me run through some quick points for Hannah. Not having the desire of your heart is a catalyst God uses to work through you for a miracle. God has placed within everybody a desire. He's placed within me a desire for a church of 20,000 people. I was sitting down at a meeting on Friday with another pastor who was doing some research, looking at some stuff, and, and he said to Dale and I, tell us your story. And over the next hour, we told our story, and we got to the end of the hour, and we went, gee, that's really horrific. We talked about the first church we planted. I don't know how many of these, maybe we're running through this story, but the first church we planted um, went really well. We had about 50 people come within about 18 months. We started with four. We, and of those 50, about 80% were first-time converts in church. It was just amazing. It was brilliant. Um, 18 months in, things were going fantastic. Just when we thought we were getting, you know, really starting to take off as a church, um, the couple who were in leadership with us and planted the church with us, their marriage fell apart. 
And we're sort of going, that's a bit of a challenge, but we got through that. Six weeks later, Dale's brother died in a plane crash. And he was another sort of leader in our church. And these 50 people who were very new Christians, and many of them going through really big things in their life. You know, they'd come to Christ because their life was a wreck. So I looked at the church and went, we don't want to be here. This is too hard. And we went from 50 people to eight people in one week. That wasn't much fun. We rang the guy who was, you know, sort of our mentor at the time, and he said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, we'll just rock up the church next week and start again. He said, okay. So we did. We ended up doing a church up in West Leaderville, and that went really well, and we saw that grow to about 70 people, and um, that was good. You know, we're going really well. And then we had, we had a great leadership team. We were seeing, you know, things happening, started to make a difference in the community. And in one week, it was over a three-day period, there were, we had about three other key leaders in our church. They were all people that were sort of taking areas of weight and so on. All three of them came, not knowing the other one was doing this. All three came in three days and said, we've been transferred over east. We got a promotion. Our whole leadership team. One week. And you couldn't be unhappy for them because, you know, they worked hard in their jobs. They were great promotions for them. It was fantastic. And neither of them knew that the other had had that. That was the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. On the Thursday, we were leasing this council building. It was a fantastic location, really good. I had a meeting with the council on the Thursday, and the guy who was, we'd sort of, we worked with, you know, who, with the council was a great guy, and he'd resigned a few weeks before. They said, will you come in? We're going to talk about the building. I said, sure. Came in, thinking we we're going to renegotiate the lease, and they kicked us out. Great week. <laughs> and so we sat down, Dale and I, and went, we've just lost our entire leadership team, and now we have to go and relocate. And so we looked at options and relocating, and the only options we could go, because the council actually wouldn't let us back into their... They, I mean, the guy had been trying to kick us out for ages, and when the guy, other guy we'd been working with had resigned and left the organisation... He saw his opportunity and kicked us out, but he had control over the buildings in that area. And so he was not going to let us back into any other place. And the only thing we could do was, only buildings available, areas available, were actually on the doorsteps of what we'd call sister churches to us, churches that we were partnering with and reaching into the area. And I don't see the point in being next door to another church. Look, you know, we're kingdom people. We're not here to build our own sort of thing. And so we had to make a decision to close that church. And we did. Feeling full of faith now. <laughs> so I'm sitting here Friday, Gary's this story, and he looked, the, the guy looked at us and he said, why do you keep going? Why are you doing this again? I mean, we've had pastors at other churches in between and seen good success and things happening. You know, I mean, I'm not saying life's all bad. But when you put your 20 years of you know, ministry into a one-hour context, it sounds really depressing. Because <laughs> we're going through some... It was just in the context of the conversation we're talking about. He said, why do you keep going? 
I said it comes back to God has put a vision within our heart. You know, I said in 1995, I sat in a house on the hill in Bibber Lake, looking over this area. As I sat in the backyard, God said, I've given you this land to build my kingdom here. And then in 1997, about October, God gave us a vision for 20,000 people. And three months later, we're sitting in a church with, with a guy called Frank Holkren, who is a really recognized prophet in this city. And it was interesting talking to this guy, because this guy knew him. He's going, oh, well, you know. And, and Frank had, had spoken into our lives about three different occurrences before. I didn't really know him. But he'd thrown to a couple of times where we'd been through some really tough times and he'd spoken. I remember when, when Dale had actually miscarried before Anna was even born. And Frank was visiting the church we were at at that time and, and he didn't know us from a bar of soap. He just turned around to Dale in the middle of the service and said, God has called you a mother of Israel, that you will raise up children. He had no idea what had just happened to him. So he was pretty influential in our life, and we're sitting, so we heard he was preaching, rocked up to where he was preaching, and he got up and he talked, and he said, the heart of God for this city is a church of 20,000 people. And he spoke for the next two minutes exactly what God had said to us three months before, pretty well word for word. And I said to this guy on Friday, I said, this is what keeps us going that you can't let go. We've tried a couple of times to let go, but we can't let go of what God has placed within us. It's bigger than we are. We can't achieve it on our own. We have to rely on God. But it's about His kingdom here on earth. It's about changing this city. And this is what Hannah's about. She comes to God and she's going, this is bigger than me. I can't change this. I need God. And people will provoke you. People will have a go at you. People will tell you that you can't do it. People will tell you you're a dreamer. But God has a dream for you. So be a dreamer. He has a plan for your life. I don't know if you've seen the universe, but God doesn't think small. He's a big God. I mean, he measures the universe, Psalms tells us, with the span of his hand. And his plan for you is bigger and you can ask, think, dream, or imagine, Ephesians 3.20 says. Are you in his plan? Are you stepping into what he has for you? Second point is Hannah comes into the house of God and she brings offerings. Now, whenever a pastor talks about tithes and offerings, you're going, oh, here we go. He's got an agenda. Yes, I do have an agenda. My agenda is to see God fulfill his plan for your life. You know, in some ways, I don't really care about the church finances. Don't tell the treasurer that. <laughs> I mean, I do care. I want us to be able to pay our bills. But tithes and offerings has actually got nothing to do with the church. It's got everything to do with you and God. 
You see, because if God can get you understanding faith, if he can get you understanding how he operates, then he can actually bless you to achieve what he has made you to be. I had a conversation last week with a guy who was telling me how they'd stopped tithing. Been going to church for 20, 30 years, and he stopped tithing because it's got too hard. And I thought, you've missed the point of what tithing is about, what giving offerings is about. It's not about, I have to do this and so I do that because God says. It's about saying, God, you are central in my life. Your word is central in my life. Everything you have given me is a blessing. And so I want you to be first in my life. And it's not just about giving your money. It's about giving your time. It's about giving your attitude. It's about giving your prayers. It's about spending time reading the word. All those things come under that same banner. It's about having a relationship with God. I don't know about you, but you actually can't have a relationship with somebody that doesn't involve finance somewhere. You know, I can't have a relationship with my wife without it costing me something. And all the white men said, Amen. (laughs) And all the women said, Hallelujah. Guys, let me just really get you into trouble here. The Bible actually says to honor your wife. Do you know what the word honor means? You're going to hate me for this, guys, but it's in the Bible. The word honor means to actually lavishly spend upon her. Your time and your money. That's the context. And that's the New Testament, not even the Old Testament. It says to lavishly honor your wife, and, and it links that to things like God hearing your prayers and God blessing you. So how you bless your wife is how God will bless you. Who's going shopping for more presents to Savo? <laughs> and that's how it works. You can't be in a relationship where money doesn't come into it. That is a committed, true relationship. Because if you love somebody, you want to give to them. You want to serve them. You want the best for them. And money is a part of that deal, isn't it? Are we okay with this? And this is why God talks, I mean, Jesus talks more about tithes and offerings, just about anything. He talks about money just about more than anything in the Bible, you know that? There's more money references than there are love references. What's God saying? Where your heart is, where is your heart? Is it in your wallet or is it in your God? And tithing is actually about setting you free to say, God, I do love you. I do serve you. I do give to you. I do trust you. I've never met anyone who started tithing who could afford to. But it's the start of a journey of trust in God and saying, I'll trust you even with my money. That's what it's about. Sure, it helps us do what we need to do as a church. 
and the more we give, the more we can do. But that's not what it's about. And when we talk about money here, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is about your relationship with God and you being as free as you can be. Tell you what, when I, I mean, I used to give, my, I grew up learning how to tithe and, you know, I got my 50 cents and so you had your five cent tithe and, you know, five cents saving, big times, you know, and then I had a little bit of money to go to the shop and it was never enough, I used to go to the shop and, you know, I could afford the funny face and all those who know what I'm talking about, you're showing your age. <laughs> I could afford the 10 cent funny face because that's all my allowance would allow me my once a week trip to the shop. And I used to look at the drumstick ice creams and what are now magnums and go, you know what, I really want those, but I can't afford those because I tithe and I have to save. And I went through my childhood years like that. I didn't understand the value. And it wasn't actually until I was probably, probably married, actually, that I really got the idea behind tithing, that it wasn't just about me giving what I had to God. It was about my relationship with Him. And when I understood that, that He was actually giving me a chance to make a difference in people's lives, I went beyond tithing and I would look for opportunities to give. And I used to hate being in an offering where I had no money. And I can remember sitting there once in, in this meeting, and the presence of God was so strong, and I just thought, I just want to give to you, God. And they came around and do the offering, and I pulled my wallet out, and there was nothing in there. And God started to speak to me, saying, what are you prepared to give to see my kingdom grow? And the only thing of value I had on me was my wedding ring. And it was one of those really big meetings, so you had too much time to think, you know. And I'm going, but I thought, you know what, God, you're more important than my marriage. My marriage is very important to me, you know. I will fight anything for my marriage. I will give up running a church if it meant my marriage. But I won't give up God. I won't stop going to church. But if, you know... Pastoring a church meant cost me my marriage or one of my children, I'd give it up tomorrow. Because my family has to be in that place, just like yours does. But I'd still be in a church, you know what I'm saying? So don't start, you know, getting confusing. I want to be clear about that. I said, God, you're more important. If this means I'm giving you my marriage, then I'll give you my marriage. And I didn't know that right at that moment, Dad was actually going through the same conversation with God, right next to me. And I got to the point of going, okay, God. And I was about to slip my ring off, and the guy standing next to me on this side tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, I'm really embarrassed by this. He said, because it's all I've got, but God told me to give you what I've got, and he gave me $10. I had something to put in the offering. I felt a bit like Abraham. I'm not saying the same as Abraham out there with his son, you know, about to kill him. Because <laughs> I wasn't giving up my marriage, I was giving up my ring. But sometimes God will take you to the limit because he really wants to know your heart. You know, I figure if we're going to be pastoring a church of 20,000, there's probably a whole lot more journeys like that. 
Because God wants to know your heart. He wants us to know our heart. He wants to make sure. And that's the difference between called and chosen. Yeah, we're all called into the kingdom of God. But some are chosen to step into what God has for them. We're all chosen for it. But do we choose it? And it's not about talents and ability, because I don't have that much of that. It's about, are you passionate about God? And this is what Hannah's doing. She comes. Even though year after year she has no child, she comes and she brings her offering to God. God hasn't answered her prayer for another year, but she brings her offering to God. Because it's about her saying, no matter what happens in my life, God, you are central. And so I give what I can give. Does that make sense? Am I taking too long? All right, let, let me run through this next couple of things. There's a whole lot of stories we've told in there, but we're going to go through those. Hannah did all that she could. Number three, I'll give you the next couple of points really quickly because we can go through these quickly because this one's about sex, so it's all right. Hannah did all she could do to ensure the dream happened in life. It says that she went home and her and her husband, Elkanah, that they knew each other. Don't you love the Bible's terms? Except for, you know, Song of Solomon, which is always interesting. Um, the Bible uses these nice, clean terms. When they, re- when they translated the King James, it was at that time when you had to use certain words in certain ways. And it sort of carries on through because we can't talk about sex in church, right? So it says that Hannah knew her husband. All right? You all know what new means, right? Knowing each other. So they say no in the biblical sense. They did what they had to do to have a child. It's the same for you. You know, you need to be here in the house of God. You need to be here connected in and meeting with God. You need to be bringing your tithes and your offerings to God. You need to have that relationship with Him. You need to be a person of prayer, but you also need to act. And I see too many Christians who go, well, you know, I'm prayed so God will make it happen. It's just in His hands. You know, when, when I was talking to some people about their tithes and offerings, they're saying, I can't afford to tithe. You know, you sit down with them and, and you go, can I go through your finances? Yeah, sure. You know, so what are you doing? Well, we spend, you know, 200 bucks a week on Foxtel. Um, we go to the movies every second night. Uh, we eat out at least four times a week because we don't like cooking. And you should see my debts. You know, I've got this car and that car and, you know, and then I've got a, a loan for my TV, I've got a loan for my stereo and, you know, and then I've got, you know, I've got my $7,000 bike and, um, you know, I think tithing isn't your problem. I think even if you stop tithing, you've still got a problem. You've got to do what you're going to do. You know, if you, if you want to start a business, then you, you get out and you research. You put together a business plan. You know, we talked about opening a, a play center as a church once. And so our first step was to put together a business plan. You know, when we talked about moving in here and launching as a church, we put together a plan. You've got to do the work as well. I think it was Moody that says, he says, I get down on my knees and I pray like everything belongs to God and then I get up and go like everything belongs to me. Actually, not belong, depends, sorry. I pray like everything depends on God and then I get up and go like everything depends on me. You've got to put your faith action in there. 
James talks about that. He says, faith without action, it's dead. So if you're looking for God to do amazing things in your life, what are you doing? Do you know? There's also a time to finish what you're doing and to stand and pray. Ephesians says, when you've done all that you can, stand. There comes a time when you have to stand. And Hannah did this. She came and she prayed. She went home. She did the deed. And then year after year, she stood on the word of God and said, my God is faithful. If you're going to be great for God, if you're going to be who he made you to be, if you're going to see the breakthrough that comes into your life, you've got to walk through those steps, that first step of being connected into the house of God, making sure you're here, you're encouraged, you're building up your faith, you've got that relationship. Two, that you're, you're giving unto God and making sure he is first in every area of your life, not just your finances, but in your relationships and your work and everything else. Three, you've got to be doing all that you can do. Before you have to be able to stand. And the way you stand is through prayer. The way you stand is through by taking his word and speaking it over your life. And believing. And you know what the funny thing is with God is he's never in a hurry. It's one of his most annoying traits. You know, I think if we could create a microwave God... We'd all be happy, wouldn't it? You know, we live in the age of the instant. Our concept of time, someone once said to me, you can't preach longer than five minutes without doing an illustration because that's the average span between ads on TV. It's five to seven minutes. But sermons have to be over within 25 minutes, otherwise, you know, you're running into the next show. We live in an instant world. We want everything now. But God's actually not interested in the result. Here's something amazing. He isn't really that interested in the result. What he's really interested in is you. You becoming who you were made to be. If that result comes easily, then where's the character? Because his aim is actually to make you like Jesus. He puts a vision, he bursts it within you so that you can become like Jesus. He walks you through the process, not because he wants to hold back and go, will you get there? Do you really want it? He does take you through a process so you can become like Jesus. Because the highest calling you have on your life is to be like Jesus. The best you you can be reflects Jesus. God loves you, like your mother loves you, and even more. He loves you like you wish your mother loved you, and even more. You are precious to him, and he wants a relationship that is all-consuming with you. But there's a price to that. 
There is a cost that goes with that. Because he made you to be awesome. But awesome takes energy and effort and consistency. It takes relationship with him. God's got a miracle for your life. He's got a breakthrough. He's got a blessing that he wants poured out upon you more than you want it. But he will use that to shape you to be the best you you can be. Because you see, when you get to that point, it's like getting to the top of a mountain. When you get up there, you know what you can see from the top of a mountain? The next mountain. And if you're like me, you know, if I get to the top of the mountain, I think is the highest one, and then I look out and see there's a bigger one, hmm, should have climbed that one. Because God knows what your mountain is. He knows what gets you going. And that vision he's put within you is just the first step. Because he's got a bigger one on the other side. Where the view is more spectacular. Where life is more brilliant. You know, you think right now you're stepping into everything he's got for you. You're sitting on the edge. You're still on the bench. But it takes consistency to get there. You know, you just get up one morning and go, I'm going to run a marathon today. Let's go. I'm about to start a new exercise program tomorrow. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm actually sort of dreading tomorrow coming in. Because I've committed myself to this and I did a preview and went through it and got really depressed. Because I know, I looked at some of the exercises, I've done some of those before, they're hard. You know? And I plan to get up at five o'clock in the morning to torture myself. I don't know about you, but when my alarm goes off that early, I don't get excited. In summer, I'm okay. In winter, man, I'm just not excited. But this is something that I know I have to do. You know, I've got to break this in my life. I want to get fit. I want to be healthier to do what God has for me to do. And it's hard work. And it's not exciting. People who get excited by exercise have something wrong with them. (laughs) Sorry to present company who run exercise companies. (laughs) They, they have this calling that is uniquely theirs. And I bless them for it. That they share it with us is our burden to bear. But I need to do it. And so I've got to pay the price to do it. And that's what it will take for you to be what God has put within inside you. You have to pay the price sometime. There is no shortcut. It's not just going to turn up tomorrow. You've got to be in the house of God. You've got to be here worshiping Him, hanging out with others to encourage you. You've got to be giving of your finances to make sure that it doesn't hold on to you. You've got to be praying and seeking Him. You've got to do all that you can do to be all He made you to be. And that's a good time for me to stop talking. I want to encourage you. Dream a dream. Take time to dream a dream.
Put a plan and an action behind that dream. And count the cost. And whatever you work out the cost is going to be, it's actually worse. Guarantee. But it's worth it if it's God's dream for your life. Don't live an ordinary, mediocre life. Don't get to your grave and everyone goes, well, they were a nice person. When you get there, I want to do your funeral. Or we always get raptured, maybe. Okay, when you turn 80, I want to stand up on your 80th and say, you know what? Let me tell you what this person has done in the last 80 years. Because that's God's plan for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are an awesome God. We thank you that you are a wonderful God, that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. Father, I pray upon every person right now that they will know your plan and purpose. And Lord, we know that it's bigger than any of us. It's more than any of us can achieve on our own, that we need you in the middle of our lives. I pray, show us the cost. Show us the vision. And then stir us up, Holy Spirit, to be who you made us to be, that you, Jesus, may shine through us. We bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go out, we're going to pray for Ivan. He doesn't know about this. So I'm going to ask him to come down here. Um, and we'll ask Anna to come too. Ivan has just been appointed as the chaplain at Applecross Senior High. And so as part of our outreach team into the area. And so I'll get, um, I can't wait Valor away, but I can get Linton and, um, to come up. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'll get Dale to come down. And they'll come and pray. I just want to pray for Ivan and set him apart. And um, it's always a good excuse to pray for Anna again and her chaplaincy work and bubs and everything else. So um, let's stand together and let's pray. Thank you. Father, we thank you that uh, you've given this open door to Ivan, that uh, your spirit is going to move into the school of Applecross through him. We pray for uh, the spirit to lead and guide him as he uh, works through this ministry. And we just uh, pray, Lord, that you will anoint him to this task. And uh, we as a church um, just uphold him and send him out to this great task. And uh, may there be many more uh, schools open, Lord, as you have shown us that uh, you have a heart for schools, for children, and that's part of our vision for this church, that it's reaching through to people through schools. Yes, Lord. Let this be the beginning and uh, let it be... um, just a, a series of open doors that bring people into your fold, that bring people into a saving knowledge of your grace for them. Mm. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we bless them. We bless this life within them as well. As they become a father and mother of one of your children. Lord, we bless them in their parenthood. And every provision in Jesus' name. Amen.